So yesterday I had a, a very first experience. Um, I poured a slab of concrete at our house. I was with my brother-in-law and two of his buddies. They were gracious enough to come out. And um, you ever felt like you, you had no business doing what you were doing? <laughs> you ever felt like there were, uh, they had like inside information and you were clearly on the outside of something? Here's the deal. When God created me, like I, I'm a pastor, God created me to be the guy that holds the clipboard. Not really this guy. My, I am aching from places I didn't even know you were supposed to ache. My muscles are so sore. And, um, man, Chad, Chad was great and, and his, his buddies were awesome. They kind of showed me the ropes, but man, we're, we're filling up, we're going to the front of the house and we're filling up these wheelbarrows full of concrete and then we're running them back on the side, right? And there's four of us. So we're like moving up and down. And the rule is this, it's unspoken, but, um, you don't want to get lapped because then they'll make fun of you. He's my brother-in-law. I see him all the time. You know what I mean? So like I'm running, I'm hustling and we have these, these pavers that are spaced out. It's not a smooth area. So we're hustling with these wheelbarrows and I've got two thoughts going on in my mind. First one is don't spill because your wife will kill you. And rightly so. And, and secondly, it's if you spill, your brother-in-law has ammo for the rest of your life. Hey, Steve, I could use your help on the, oh, actually, no, no, no. Remember when you spilled all the concrete everywhere, right? So, yeah, it it is what it is, right? So I'm doing the things, and I'm hustling, and we're loading it up, and we made it happen. And then there's levels to this. They started asking me questions that I, I knew nothing about. They said, what type of finish do you want? Like a a nice one? I don't even know. What are the options? I don't even know what that means, right? Uh, What color, you know, what tint do you want it to be? I I don't know. Standard issue. Like what, what is that? I I don't know what that is, right? So there, you know, do you want it smooth? Do you want it this way? We can spray this chemical on it and it does that such and the other thing. And I, I just, I don't know. Chad, make it, make it pretty so my wife loves it, you know? And so that's what he did. But I was clearly clearly on the outside and they had some insider information and what was really cool is that they brought me they brought me in they didn't make me feel dumb which chad thanks man because you certainly had options too (laughs) but they, they brought me in and have you ever felt like that have you ever been on the outside of something and you just you know you don't belong there you know you feel like you're on the outside and you're just looking in and you're like oh man what is happening and and hopefully you've had this Hopefully you've had an experience where you have been on the outside and somebody from the inside brought you in. That's an amazing feeling, right? Uh, I, I think every human being, we've all felt this on some level. We've all been on the outside. And whether it was, I, I don't know, maybe in your family, you know, you, you knew you were loved, but you also knew you were family and there was something different about you. You just felt like, man, I, I kind of feel like maybe the black sheep or the odd one out. Um, maybe it wasn't the family you grew up in, but maybe it was just the family you married into. So you married in and your family, but there's, your last name is different. There's a distinction there. Um, for some of us, you could be all the way back in junior high, maybe early elementary school. You're in the cafeteria line. You've got your tray full of food and you have, oh, and you look out and you go, where am I going to sit? If you've ever moved to a new town, you're the new person in town and everyone has their routines, their structures, their friend groups. And this group of people does this over here on Tuesdays and this group over here goes there on Thursdays, but don't go here on Thursdays because that's Tuesday. And you're like, I don't know the rules. There's all these unspoken things. But when someone in that group brings you in, you you don't just feel like they give you permission to, to join the group. You feel like you're a part of the group. And that's a beautiful experience. And what I think is even further, or what's more impressive than that, and it it goes further than that, is that we never really get to see the end result of what happens 
when we bring that person into the group. You know what I mean? Like we can see their lives change, but the lives outside of them, because they came from a different group. They already had like a community, a support group, friends or whatever. And, and we, they left that group and were, was welcomed in here. But what happens with those relationships? And I'm really curious about this. And so this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to John chapter 4. And we're going to look at a story. And it is a very clear story of you have the inside group and you have the outside group. And the outside and inside groups are separated for a reason. They do not get along. They do not like each other. And what I love about this story is the end result. We're going to see what happens when someone from the outside is brought in. We're going to see what happens to the rest of that community. So, like I said, if you got a Bible, go to John, book of John, chapter 4. And uh, we're, we're going to pick it up there. But here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus and the disciples are hanging around a group of people. And they're called the Pharisees. And basically, they're the religious elite. And they don't love what Jesus is doing. They don't love it. Because he, he's not playing by their rules. And so often if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this. Jesus will do something. The Pharisees will whine and complain about it. And this time Jesus isn't going to deal with it. So he says, hey, we're going somewhere else. And so our story picks up. So John chapter 4 verse 4 says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. It doesn't hit us today like it, did, like it would back then. So, okay, in the first century, um, if you were a Jew, let's pretend like we're, we're all Jews in the first century. If someone were to say the word Samaria, the crowd would immediately boo. They would hiss. They would be completely disgruntled. Because, here, let me put it this way. If you were traveling, if you're at the Dead Sea and you're going to the Sea of Galilee, you, you don't go through Samaria. You make different travel arrangements. You go around it. You, you book a plane. You fly over it. You get a boat. You, you go around it. I almost said swim around. That's a really long swim. But if you could, you dig a tunnel and you go underneath it. You don't go through it because those people live there. And we like that those people stay here because our people are over here. And what I find so fascinating is that Jesus, he had to go to Samaria. So a little engagement here. Um, when I say the word Samaria, I want everyone to say boo. And if you're watching online, uh, don't say boo like you're scaring someone, but like boo, you know. And if you're online, uh, I want you to type in boo and, and do it in caps so you're like super angry and passionate about it, okay? You ready? <sighs> I want you to know the first service like crushed it. They, they did an awesome job. So here we go. Verse four. Now he, this is Jesus. Now he had to go through Samaria. So good. He had to go through Samaria. Samaria. This is so unproductive, but it's really fun. Okay, here's why you need to know that they don't like... Okay, let's don't say boo anymore because we'll never get through the service. Here's why you need to know... Uh, here's what you need to know about Jews and Samaritans and why they don't get along. See, the Samaritans, the people from Samaria, boo. back in the day... <laughs> you're killing me, man. Back in the day, uh, the Assyrians came in and they conquered. And they trucked all these people off and brought them back to Assyria. Years and years and years later, they've obviously married. They have intermarried. They now have children that are mixed, right? Um, Assyria eventually says, okay, well, you guys can head on back. So they go back. But they bring their, their half-blood 
babies and kids and adults. Um, if you're a, a reader of Harry Potter, the mudbloods, that's kind of what this is, right? So they bring, they get brought back in, but not only do they bring their, their watered down bloodline, if you will, but they bring in their lifestyle, their values, and specifically they bring in the gods of the Assyrians. See, Samaritans will worship Yahweh like the Jews do, God the Father, but they're also worshiping these gods over here. And that is a big no-no for the Jews. There is one true God, and that's the only one you worship. You, you don't do anything over here. So it, it is so divided, and it's, it's not like a peaceful division of like, we just, you know, hear no evil, speak no evil. It, it's aggressive. They do not get along. And so when you read the passage, don't say boo, but when you read the passage that Jesus had to go through that place, that's a big deal. So verse 5, he came to, the, to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Underline that word noon. We'll come back to it in a quick second. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? See, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So get the picture. It's Jesus, a Jew, male, with a woman, Samaritan, alone. This is a big deal. Jesus, in the rest of the story, he's going to cross some cultural lines. And these aren't like unspoken values. These are clear as day. Everybody knows this. So the, the first one in your notes, he crosses the line of gender. See, it's noon that day. Um, and the only reason you would go and get water at noon in the hot of the day is because you didn't want to interact with anyone. You didn't want to be seen. You didn't want to have conversation. You wanted to be alone. And she goes in the middle of the day, not well, really desiring not to talk to anybody. And like I said, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And here she finds herself with a male who is Jew. And, and he even asks, he asks her for help, for assistance. You don't do that. See, men don't ask women for assistance anyways, but a Jew does not ask a Samaritan for assistance for help along the way. This is a no-no. And for a woman to be seen in public without her husband was, was full of shame. This is an honor and shame culture. And so this kind of, you can, this really, this paints the picture of you, you have a woman who either has no husband or her husband is unable to work, so she is out doing the work which further brings shame on her, the husband, or the family as a whole. See, women are supposed to live in this century. They're supposed to, to live what's referred to as the private life. Don't be seen. Don't be heard. You stay private. You're in the house. Prepare the meals. Keep it clean. That's all you're worthy of. And so she goes out in the middle of the day. And she's confronted with the male who is a Jew. Jesus has crossed a massive, massive cultural line. The, the tension is huge because the women that only go out at that time see a lot of them they were working that night so they couldn't get water in the morning if you get where i'm going that was the assumption and a male and a female alone having a conversation that only meant one thing that they were making arrangements for the coming evening this, this is the conclusions that society would come to why else would they engage in this why else would these cultural lines be crossed so this is a big deal. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Second line he just crossed, and she refers to it, is racial and ethnic lines. 
Now, I kind of explained in the beginning how Assyria came and took them and then gave them back. I, I don't want to go into a big context, or I don't want to go into a big explanation of that. I simply want you to know that this is yet another line that has been crossed. You've got racial and ethnic lines, and you have gender lines that, have, that are being crossed here. And we're only nine verses in. It gets worse. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As it also his sons and his livestock. And all the while, I got to think like she's, she's saying this with her mouth, but in her mind, she's thinking, why are you talking to me? Why are we having this conversation? If and when I have this conversation, it's not this way. It's usually about a different topic altogether. What are we doing? And Jesus answers verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. The third cultural line that Jesus crossed is the personal or the private life. There's just certain questions you don't ask one another. It's not appropriate. We all know this. If I were to come and bring some of, some of you up on stage and then go, hey, I want you to tell me about your purity. Uh, I'm not ready to have that conversation clearly publicly like that's kind of odd if we were to sit down and say All right, let's talk about your finances. How are you doing? Well, that's personal. That's private If you were to meet with somebody that you you literally this is the first time you had a conversation and they said Let's talk about your sex life and your relationships No, i'm good on that like we can pass but do you see what I'm doing? Because it's none of our business, right? Like you have, you have to build trust. There has to be a relationship. I have to know that you're for me, not against me. And then we'll baby step our way into some of those conversations. You don't lead in with that. And what does Jesus do? He goes straight to the issue. He goes, go tell your husband. And he knows what's happening. He says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, I know. Now, he's not mean about it, but you got to understand that's a bold move. He, he's crossing all of these lines. He's doing what society says you're not supposed to do. And it's working. And it's having an impact. So listen to what she does, because you and I, we would respond this way if people were to ask us these, these questions. I, I know you would, because I do, and I think, I think we're like-minded. So back to verse 17. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five of them. And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now watch what she says. She deflects and changes the subject. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is over there in Jerusalem. Do you see the pivot? Let's talk about your five failed marriages and the sexual immorality you're having today. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet, like totally boxed at the conversation. He said, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Are you kidding me? We're not going there. That's too messy. It's none of your business. We're not supposed to be talking in the first place. You're a man. 
I'm a woman. You don't ask each other this question. That doesn't work that way. What, what are you doing? What is happening right now? So she pivots. She tries to steer the conversation. She talks about worship. Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Fourth cultural line, the boundary that Jesus crosses, he talks about religion. It's the religious line. What are the two things that we're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? Politics and religion. Jesus has crossed all of those. And then some. I already broke down uh, the difference between worship styles. But listen, listen, it, it, it gets better. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He's saying, look, 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 your worship is not, it, it doesn't exist in a location. It's not a mountaintop or it's not a city. For us today, it's not a building. It's great to gather and sing songs together, and I love that. But our worship starts when we wake up in the morning in our home, when we're brushing our teeth and staring at the man or woman in the mirror and glorifying God and saying, thank you for life today. That begins worship. It's the conversations that we have in the office, the thoughts that we have as we're driving home, leaving the office. It's the interactions around the dinner table as we're sharing a meal with our family or with friends and loved ones. What are the conversations that are happening? How are we giving glory to God? It's not a location. It's not a location. Otherwise, your worship would stop. And Jesus isn't sitting up there in heaven going, well, Sunday's good. We hit the quota. I'll see you next week. That's not how relationships work. So he says, look, there will be a time where we worship in spirit. It's not, it's not a location. It is not a building. God's not bound by that. We worship him. And we have to do it in truth. And if I were to bring that into today's context, I would simply say... Um, <laughs> You know, you know those times when you walk into church and, and they're singing the song and you're not feeling it in that moment? Sometimes, I, I can remember this, I, I think I've grown a little bit, but I can remember try, trying to force myself and feeling really um, guilty or shameful that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the zone, I'm not worshiping, I'm not quote-unquote feeling it for the day. And so I would pretend because I knew that there were other people around me. So I wanted them to think that, well, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping, so I, things are good between God and I. Th- that's not worshiping in truth. God already knows. Because, Steve, I know you're not feeling it. I know you had a crazy week. I was right there with you every step of that week. It was rough. Why are you pretending to be something that you're not? I didn't create you. To do that. I created you with emotions and feelings. And if you're not feeling it, I want to sit with you in that moment. Why are we, why are we faking this? Now, let me say this. One of the coolest things about corporate worship where we gather together on Sunday mornings is when I am not feeling it and I plop myself down on a chair and everyone else is standing and singing and I'm just kind of in my head and trying to work stuff out with God. When I see other people who are human just like me, who have had bad weeks just like me, when I see them standing and worshiping Jesus, that encourages me. 
that encourages me because I go, you've had bad weeks too. There have been times when you haven't felt it either. And, and, and you're choosing to respond in worship. That, that's encouraging for me. That's a good example for me to look to and to learn from the community. This is why this is so important that we gather together. It's because there are people in the chairs right now. There's people online watching right now that are quote unquote not feeling it. And when the body of Christ comes together and we stand and we worship God, even though life has been really, really hard. We're worshiping in spirit and we're worshiping in truth. And God is glorified and it reverberates all throughout the body. You can feel it. And so in those moments when I am not feeling it, it is so important that I actually go to church and I sit amongst the community that I belong with and I get filled up and I get encouraged by other people's faithfulness and their obedience and their response to what Jesus has done. And then I I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, you know what happens? By the end of the set, I'm standing up and I'm worshiping. But it's because of the community that has decided we're going to worship in spirit, not just on Sunday mornings in a building, but we're also going to worship in truth. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Did I say powerful? It is powerful. Verse 25, the woman said, excuse me, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were, what's that word? They were surprised. You have a Jewish man, I don't care if he's Jesus or not, talking with a Samaritan woman all by themselves. Woo! You'd be surprised too. uh, To find that he was surprised talking with a woman. But no one, this is wisdom, but no one asked, what are you doing? Or why are you talking with her? There's wisdom in just keeping your trap shut and just taking it all in. Like, I'm just going to watch. I'm not going to say nothing. We're going to see how this plays out. Let's see what happens here. So the disciples show up. And by the way, think for a second. If you're the woman, um, it's it's... It's equal right now. It's one-on-one. You have one Samaritan and you have one Jew. The disciples come back and you are overpowered. You are overwhelmed. You are the minority. You are the outsider. And it has just been reinforced and no one has said a word. Just by showing up and what the disciples represent. So I would imagine if, well, maybe you would imagine it too. But what, what do you feel in that moment? When a community, a group of people show up and you know what they represent. And it is everything, it's everything that is opposite of who you are and what you were raised to believe. Immediately, you're, you're faced with this reality. So they come back, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to all the people. Okay, listen, listen. She has a reputation in her own town. You, you got to imagine those five husbands have talked. It's not a huge town. She's a woman to begin with. She's that kind of woman. She has a reputation and people know who this is. So verse 29, listen, this is what she says to the people. She says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him, towards Jesus, towards a Jew. Right? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him incredible incredible because of her story now listen listen jump down with me verse 39 many of the samaritans from that town believed in him this is jesus because of the woman's testimony he told me everything i ever did so when the samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed 
two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This woman is a Samaritan. She's an outsider from Jews. She goes back to her community where she is an outsider. Don't miss this. And it is her words to the Samaritans in this village that caused the village to come out and see Jesus. The disciples didn't come in the inside circle. The disciples didn't go to the town and say, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's the savior of the world. It was that woman with that background from that outcast society with all that baggage. It was her story. And she goes and tells. And then Jesus, because he's so loving and merciful and good, they say this. We met you that we've been searching for you. Would you stay two days? And he says, yes. Because, because he loves them. Jesus is seeing all these cultural lines that you're not supposed to cross. He has no problem crossing them. I imagine the disciples struggled a little bit. You're like, Jesus, two days, that's, that's a long time. It's 48 hours. Like, I thought we were passing through. It seems like we're setting up shop. Uh, Are we going to eat together with these people? We have nowhere to sleep. Are we, oh, are we going to sleep in their homes? You see where this, I don't have a lot of notes for this message, but it's a one point message. Are you ready for it? Here's the main point. No human being is more or less valuable than you are. No human being, not a single one. Jesus has every reason not to go here, not to talk to this woman, not to make an example, to leave them be. They're so far gone anyways. Who would miss them? But Jesus knows that no human being is more valuable than the other. They're all, we're all made in the image of God. And Jesus is saying to his disciples and he's saying to us, there are people on the outside that need to be brought inside. And I I love this story because I have seen myself in that. I've experienced that. But I love it even more because of what the outsider did. She went and she reached a town. And the, the town believed in Jesus. You have outsiders reading outsider, reaching more outsiders. And what do you have? All of a sudden, you just have one big circle of insiders. We're all in. We're all in. But you and I, listen, listen, this breaks down. If we look at one another and we start sizing each other up and all of a sudden we ascribe value and worth to people. That is not our job. We don't get the luxury of doing that. And Jesus in this story levels the playing field. No one is more valuable or no, and no one is less valuable than you. For God so loved the world, that is us, that he gave his son Jesus For us, no single human being is more or less valuable than us. And I I love this story because I I see this playing out in in two very specific ways. (laughs) One of the things that's so great about this church is that we... We're full of people that are different. We're full of people that were on the outside. Your life is messy and yet you, you felt loved and grace and you were accepted and you were brought in. I've, I've heard some of the stories. I know. 
This is who we are. And I just get excited about this story because it's like, yes, we're doing the things of Jesus. This is what he asked us to do. Like we're doing these things. And I also get really excited because there was a time in my life where I felt like I was on the outside. And I had people welcome me, not welcome me like here's a chair. You're you're more than welcome to sit here if you want, but to bring me into the fold, to welcome me in and allow me to participate in worship, participate in discipleship and growing in my faith. It wasn't like, Steve, we have a seat for you. No, 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 no. Steve, we have a place at the table of God with you. Like, come, you are a part of us. Participate in what we do and how we live. No question is off limits. Ask your question. I know you have them. Go ask them. And if we can't find the answer, we'll pray about it and we'll study and search and we'll find answers to one another. Nothing is taboo. Jesus crosses all these cultural lines. We ought to be people that do the same. And I know this to be true. Your life was, cro- was, was changed because someone crossed the line and spoke into you, asked you difficult questions, talked about religion and your relationship with Jesus. And it was uncomfortable because they checked you on a couple things. But you fast forward, your faith in Jesus is stronger. You've come to know Jesus because of certain individuals who act this way. And I just love this. And I, I want to encourage us to continue to be a community where everyone is welcome. There's no insider. There's no outsider. Everyone is welcome. Everyone, every single human being is welcome. We have, we have room for you. Those of you, if you're watching online and you feel like you're not the right person that can come and have a seat in the community, we have a place for you. Come join. We, we would love to have you. I, I want to pray two, two prayers. One, that we would continue in this because we, we are doing good in this. I want us to keep growing. I want us to reach lost people. I want lost people to know that there's a God who loves them desperately. And will do anything and will cross any social line or whatever to go and have a relationship with them. I want people to know this. And then I also want to pray for the person who has felt like they have been an outsider or unwelcome in God's presence in the presence of the church. So would you bow your heads with me as we come before the Lord? Jesus, I, I thank you that the culture of this place, Lord, is, is one that is welcoming. We, we know we're different. We have different preferences, likes and dislikes. We get it. But God, this church is working really, really hard to not let those things divide us. So Lord, would you continue to send lost people our way so that they can know your son Jesus? Not so we can make different people more like us. No, no, no. So that we can make lost people more like Jesus. And I pray, Lord, when outsiders, when people feel like they don't belong, they're unworthy, it's a totally different culture. God, when those people come into the church doors and they feel your presence and your love, may they quickly run back out to the community. And like the Samaritan woman, would they use their experience, would they share their story, and would many more people come to know Jesus? God, I pray this for our children. That they would be lights on a dark school campus that people that feel like they don't belong would they find community with our kids and would our kids invite them to church and would they experience the gospel message 
And if you feel like you're one of those outsiders, like you don't belong, you kind of, you don't fit the mold. And, And you know intellectually that Jesus loves you, but you've never felt it. You felt distant. I want to invite you to just pray a prayer with me. It's you, Use your words. You can repeat what I say or you can say it under your breath or think your own words in, in your heart. But I simply want to lead you. So you can, you can say it like this. Jesus, I feel distant from you. And I've been searching for a lot of things. And I think what I'm searching for is you. I don't know what everything means. Bible's a really big book, but I know that I need a relationship with you. So thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for loving me. And Jesus, I'm going to step out in faith. In faith that you will march with me. And in faith that the church will rally around me and help me grow and learn more about you and become more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and I want to invite you simply just to reflect and let the words wash over you.